and welcome to IRI Growth Insights, featuring IRI thought leaders, industry partners, and guests. For more than 40 years, IRI has been known for its invaluable data, but these podcasts delve into the insights the data reveal to fuel market disruption and market growth for those in the CPG, retail, healthcare, and media markets. I'm your host, Joan Driggs, coming to you from IRI's corporate headquarters in Chicago. Hello, and welcome to IRI Growth Insight Podcast. We're in the fall season, which means that businesses are deep into planning for 2023. And a big part of that is forecasting, which, spoiler alert, isn't annual anymore. Today, I'm speaking with my colleague, Nagi Jonalagata, a Senior Vice President of Global Products and Solutions here at IRI. Welcome, Nagi. Hey, Joan. Glad to be here. Thanks. So Nagi just published a paper forecasting for an uncertain market, and that's available at iriworldwide.com. You can look under under insights and then under publications. And so Nagi, maybe it's due to the volatility of our current CPG market, you know, including high inflation, um, or maybe it's because we have more tools. But we're seeing that the way we forecast has changed. Um, the days of forecasting for that year ahead is long gone. Instead, companies and brands are continually updating their forecasts based on new or changing inputs. So can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, I think uh, one of the big changes we've seen as we have worked with uh, our CPG and manufacturer clients is uh, the change in thinking in how they think about forecasts. Um, you know, pre-pandemic, they used to be um, more point-in-time estimates and people would um, develop a forecast and get away from it for an year. Um, but now companies that, um, you know, are in this market, they are uh, struggling to um, fully understand how consumer demand is constantly changing. And, and the companies that are good navigators are very closely monitoring all the inputs and revising the forecasts more regularly than once a year, right? Um, and what are the factors that are driving that change? Um, you know, consider everything from inflation to impact of COVID-19 to the war in Ukraine. There are a lot of factors to consider. Yeah, but if we're constantly changing our forecasting, like how does that impact planning? Um, do we need shorter cycles? Is that possible? It's, uh, it's, that's definitely what we're seeing, right? Um, you know, when we think about how uh, CPGs used to um, tackle pricing, uh, price changes used to happen, uh, you know, about once a year or maybe twice a year. And now we're seeing um, that happening, you know, a lot more frequently, right? It's just driven by things that are completely outside their control. It's, uh, it's inflation, it's labor shortages, it's, supply chain challenges, um, you know, raw material shortages, all of these are contributing to having them to rethink uh, how they need to handle price and promotion strategies, right? So, you know, we are working with clients that are wanting to change price three times a year, right? And that means that uh, a forecast that was done three months ago is not valid anymore because our pricing strategy in the market has changed completely, right? Um, so definitely there are um, slightly shorter planning cycles than before, 
Um, and, and that's, uh, you know, again, added to a lot of the complexity in understanding demand. And honestly, I see the digital shelf, you know, the diff- digital pricing at, at the shelf. So those prices are changing far more frequently than three times a year, for sure. Right. That's uh, that. Well, you know, those were considered as uh, um, advantages or, you know, unique value propositions for e-commerce before. And definitely that has become a, a tool in how um, they're managing uh, pricing and, uh, uh, and addressing demand. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. That's interesting that it's bled through the um, the channels. I, I like that. Um, so that is a lot to consider. And, and in your paper, you outline a lot of the major trends that companies should be considering when making their forecasts. I mean, obviously, you can't list out every single thing. But I know that you have to be looking at this through a couple of different lenses. So can you share with us how you strategize around forecasting? What are the bigger overarching themes that you look at? Yeah. So I think before I get into that, one of the things to remember is, you know, as we're talking about more agile demand planning, we are basically looking at uh, forecasts more as scenarios with confidence intervals rather than a point estimate, right? Because there are so many factors that are at play at this point, and each of them have different ways that they can evolve, and each of them will have a different way that they will impact consumer demand. So more and more, um, our clients are looking at forecasts more as scenarios um, with uh, you know broad upsides and downsides possible, depending on how these factors might evolve, rather than you know. Um, estimates that are um, like a baseline. Very right? interesting. So right. you do see the clients are far more flexible and they're willing to kind of change as as different inputs impact their business. That's that's right. That's right. And, you know, again, to your earlier question, there are um, a lot of trends or factors that are impacting consumer demand, right? And I'm going to talk about it uh, uh, from three lenses. Um, So the first is uh, around consumer behavior, right? How consumer behavior is changing um, to um, address uh, some of the, you know, struggles that they're having on their wallet, uh, how inflation is impacting their spend uh, and and how they're uh, addressing or how they're tackling uh, impact of COVID, right? And then the second big aspect is around macro or external factors that are typically beyond the control of a retailer or manufacturer, right? That still impact consumer demand. Um, And then the third that's, uh, you know, easier for a lot of our clients is um, what they do at the store or in-store execution strategies that impact demand, right? These are what manufacturers and retailers are doing to address consumer demand, right? So the three, three lenses, the way three lenses in which uh, we um, uh, look at uh, um, how demand is changing over time. So let's talk a little bit about some of the consumer behavior because from the paper, consumers aren't even behaving necessarily as you anticipated that they would right now. That's that's right. That's right. Um, and, and there are a, a couple of different 
um, and you know very important aspects of consumer behavior uh, that I want to talk about. Uh, so one is how they are reacting to the price changes uh, that are happening in the marketplace, uh, and then the second is uh, is the shifting uh, behaviors around uh, channels. Right, uh, we have seen that uh, initially in. COVID hit us, and we are continuing to see that change, um, you know, in a different way now, right? So where they were shopping one channel for everything, now they're shopping multiple channels. That's right. That's and- right. And 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 of course the um, the behavior in in relation to e-commerce, right, or online shopping, has also evolved. So that's the third factor, and then a fourth important factor is uh, how they are trading off. In-home consumption with at-home consumption with the out-of-home consumption, mm. right? Yeah, um, we see like in that the the trade-offs that I'm seeing are that people still want to dine out, but they're having to trade down in terms of like the quality or the money that they spend, you know, per um, check, if you will. That's right. That's right. And so let's uh, let's maybe get into uh, some of these in a bit more detail. Yeah. Right. So when we talk about um, the reaction to price increases, right, I would say that it's been unprecedented uh, from a CPG standpoint with uh, lower than expected price sensitivity in the recent past. Right. Uh, now, Me- meaning if, that consumers are still willing to pay those prices even as they rise. That that's right. Um, so inflation is you know is continuing its successful run. And it doesn't look like it will be tamed anytime soon, right? Um, you know, and after seeing years of low inflation, now consumers are having to adjust to a new reality since the pandemic, right? Um, but so far, I would say that they've been pretty resilient. Um, and what we're seeing is a overall milder reaction to the continuing price increases, right? And I'm going to quote some numbers from our September price check report. Um, for instance, um, in the last six months, food and beverage prices have increased uh, 10 to 15 percent on average, right? But uh, unit sales have only declined in the low single-digit range. Wow! Right? Uh, but we are starting to see a bigger impact on perimeter sales than on center of store sales, right? And what that means is we're starting to see a shift in consumer behavior. Um, and the big question is. Uh, not if, but when we will reach an inflection point, um, you know, in 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 their reaction to uh, declines in units or volume. But you know, it's it's that's kind of an interesting um, view because the perimeter channel, the perimeter part of the store. I just I did a podcast with Chris Dubois talking about um, proteins, animal proteins in particular, meat and poultry, mm-hmm. and those prices look like they're just moderately up compared to a year ago. But that's because it's hiding the fact that prices really surged in the second half of 2021. So now that we see these big price increases in center store, people are kind of almost thinking, oh, well, it's a better deal in the perimeter, in the fresh perimeter, but that's really not the case. Right. And and we also have to remember that the um, products in the perimeter, you know, from a fresh perspective are typically higher priced per serving than uh, center of store, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, you know, we've seen this in the past recessions 
that that does uh, come into play as consumers decide you know what to put in their basket so when you talk about a tipping point you know where where consumers will have hit a wall and said enough is enough is that do you think going to be how long inflation lasts or is it going to be more of a look my budget just can't take the strain anymore is it a combination what does that tipping point look like that we need to be watching out for it's uh, it's going to be a combination right and we're going to talk about some of the uh, macro factors soon and, and you know like what we're expecting from a recession standpoint how it's going to impact uh, incomes and um, spending power um, that that's going to um, you know change a lot of things in terms of where the demand is going to be within the store the the second aspect around channel behaviors right um, there is no doubt that uh, macroeconomy and inflationary pressures have impacted everyone right um, but it has definitely impacted lower and middle income shoppers more than higher income shoppers um, and we are starting to see more distinctly a bifurcation in shopping behaviors um, on one hand there is a migration away from grocery channel to mass merchants like target and walmart and to value driven dollar stores right so consumers uh, are seeking value um and and you know going to the channels that provide them that value right on the other hand um club channel that typically caters to higher income shoppers is doing extremely well relatively speaking right um you know we saw um shift to certain um channel preferences during the pandemic in 2020 and and evolved into slightly different patterns in 21 and then now we're seeing again seeking of value and um seeking you know products that get them to maybe lower baskets um maybe better value through larger packages right yeah. and that's where mass and club are coming into play i think that during the pandemic um particularly in the case of club a lot of consumers took some of their stimulus money and invested in membership and you know particularly if you're a large family or maybe you're even a sharing a membership with another household you do see that value of making the larger volume purchase um and and as you said there's a lot of households that really can only do that paycheck to paycheck um shopping where they're looking for the lowest price point possible so i definitely see what you're saying there and 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 this uh shifting you know channel purchase behavior is you know is going to uh, require manufacturers to think about um you know how to forecast demand by not just total us but also by channel and then the third aspect of consumer demand is uh, um out of home versus at home consumption right um and this is you know related to how consumers are constantly trading off um between at home and out of home consumption right um when the pandemic hit everything turned inside meaning you know at home consumption skyrocketed and um you know the share shares of at home spend compared to out of home spend kind of went through the roof you know again in relative terms right mm-hmm. uh, but out of home spend has increased considerably in the last 12 months 
as people are spending more time outside, um, you know, they're uh, vaccinated and there's been pent up demand for um, eating out and, and uh, traveling and all of that. Uh, but what we are seeing is the out of home costs are rising on par with at home costs, right? Um, I and, thought that restaurant inflation was lower than at home, like grocery inflation. Yeah, more more in the last uh, few months. But when you kind of look at it as a you know twelve month average, it's at least on par with at home, right? Okay. And and you know and a, and a higher um, starting point on a kind of per serving basis to begin with, right? Yeah. Um, and oh. and so when you put all of those into um, you know, together, that can kind of put a damper, especially in a worsening economic situation for out-of-home spend. Well, um, and despite inflation of any size, whether for out-of-home or at-home, that price of a restaurant meal still costs three and a half times what you would pay if you just sourced your food from the grocery store. Exactly, exactly. And uh, and that that relative affordability and you know lower per serving costs should drive sustained growth in food at home um you know especially in the next uh, you know 9 to 12 months and keep in mind we have a much larger percentage of the workforce continuing to work from home so that's more meals at home right there too so both of those things that you just described really are favorable to um cpg or food at home right that, that's right, and and we'll we'll talk a little bit more about uh, um, you know that aspect uh, you know uh, a little bit later. The other aspect around consumer behavior is uh, related to um, e-commerce or online shopping, right? Uh, so e-commerce and CPG has seen uh, tremendous growth driven by COVID nineteen, and by some estimates, uh, adoption has accelerated by three to five years in CPG, right? And uh, both manufacturers and retailers have uh, reacted by investing heavily in enabling e-commerce. And um, unfortunately, uh, growth has slowed down a little bit and returning back to pre-pandemic trends, right? Again, this very strong growth in e-commerce, you know, compared to brick and mortar, but it's not as gung-ho as in 2020. But are we losing the big gain? We're not losing the big gains that were made during the pandemic, are we? No. I mean, again, the growth growth is still there, but it's just slowing. Got it. Right? And, and that's, again, a new, in some ways, a new reality for manufacturers and retailers in a very short time period. Right? Uh, and, and what's driving is, uh, you know, trips have returned. Right? Uh, but wallets are stretched and baskets are shrinking. Right? All of these are pointing to, you know, potential struggles for online purchases in the short term, mm. right? But when we think about the long term, uh, we also have to remember that uh, uh, per capita consumption is fairly constant over time. So growth in one channel has to come at the expense of the other channel, right? So e-commerce growth has to come at the expense of brick and mortar or vice versa, right? So um, as you know, CPGs and retailers are um, thinking about e-commerce as a channel to drive demand and um, increase, you know, adoption or penetration for their brands. 
it's uh, important to keep in mind that we're still um, looking at a, a, a sum of one at the end of the day. Well, you know, it's interesting because you mentioned earlier that that digital shelf, if you will, the, the flexible pricing was more a strategy of e-commerce. But at the same time, I can go online and I can compare the price of something, maybe a larger purchase across multiple retailers to make sure that I'm getting the best deal. I Do people do that with grocery? I mean, I know we're hunting for the best deals. We're probably using circulars. But when it comes to e-commerce, I don't know that I would be price checking peanut butter from one CPG to the next, one retailer to the next. Yeah, I I think the the um, aspects around e-commerce from a consumer standpoint is is not so much uh, you know price comparison across channels or retailers. It's more about delivering consistent pricing. Uh, online versus at the shelf, right? Mm-hmm. Um, when when I when I buy the same product online and have it delivered home, um, should I be paying a higher price than purchasing it in the store myself, right? Um, and and there is a wide range of strategies, and um, I, I think that uh, you know retailers that are ensuring price consistency and transparency are uh, probably you know, winning more than the ones that are trying to, um, you know, make uh, uh, online purchases um, to be higher priced because of the convenience that it offers. Yeah. Right? I, I, but, 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 but of course, you know, the, the strategy changes when uh, the delivery mechanism is different. So when you think about a a um, you know same day delivery or um, you know two hour delivery window or or you know um, buying through channels like uh, Instacart or or um, Uber or uh, you know or uh, you know Amazon um, you know through Whole Foods uh, those are definitely premium priced and can be justified uh, pretty well for the convenience. Yeah, well, let's talk a little bit about some of those manufacturer strategies for this. Yeah, um, so I think there are a couple of different things manufacturers are doing. Um, one is uh, related to uh, the changing product assortments, right? Um, and the second is uh, is what uh, we're terming shrinkflation, right? Which is basically downsizing the products but uh, maintaining the prices. Um, and then the third aspect is around uh, uh, changing promotion and merchandising strategies, right? Uh, so let's tackle that uh, one at a time and uh, start with uh, the product assortment. Um, so what, what we've seen um, as the demand in the store and online has increased, uh, CPGs have become very smart about rethinking their assortment. Um, the long tail of UPCs that had um, a low sales rate disappeared very quickly from the shelf in 2020, right? Uh, CPGs focused on meeting demand by uh, streamlining production to their higher selling SKUs and larger packs. And um, shoppers have adjusted to that pretty quickly, right? Uh, for them- not, Can um, I just say not necessarily willingly? We, we... Not necessarily willingly, <laughs> yeah. right? Because you know they they still want the variety and they still want the choice on the shelf, uh, but they're 
they would rather have the product um, available okay. to buy when they when they're in the store than having you know a very particular product that they used to buy before. Yeah, right? agree. Um, so so what what we have seen is that the sales rate or the velocity for some of the um, the products has uh, changed dramatically since the onset of the pandemic. Right. So assortment is shrinking, but uh, sales are still rising. Right, and that's the uh, that's a new dynamic for uh, CPGs and retailers, and they have to continuously think about um, what they put on the shelf to um, to cater to the demand. Yep, and I think that that becomes even more of, of a draw, if you will, or a trip driver for certain retailers, like having the right assortment for their shopper base versus right. you know maybe a slightly lower price, but not the ability to fulfill as much of your basket at a, at a different retailer. Right. And that, that may be what is, uh, you know, driving um, the shoppers towards dollar stores and club channel. Let's, uh, let's talk about shrinkflation. Um, so it used to be a rarely used tactic, right? Um, you know, mainly to handle sudden and unexpected raw material and supply shortages. Right. And, uh, you know, the historical examples have been with uh, peanut butter, for example, when uh, peanut prices went through the roof, um, uh, CPGs uh, suddenly changed uh, their, uh, you know, standard 16 ounce um, box to a uh, 15.2 ounce box. Right. A 5% reduction in, in uh, you know, in what you get, but for the same price. Right. Uh, but Lately, it seems to have become a fairly common tactic to tackle rising inflation, right? Uh, and again, I'm going to quote our September price check report. Um, food manufacturers are using a variety of price back levers to balance affordability for shoppers amid rising costs, right? And downsizing is becoming a popular strategy uh, employed by a lot of CPGs. Uh, we're seeing this across the store. Um, edible products like ice cream, Yogurt, I said peanut butter and bread. Um, even I see it a lot. Yeah, I see it a lot yeah. in like the center store and crackers Cent- and things like that. Yeah, exactly. And and it's uh, it's um, also taking shape in non-edible products such as uh, home cleaning. Right. Mm. The the um, you know the the, uh, the bathroom cleaner that you uh, buy next may be slightly smaller than you realize. Right. Um, Hair care products, shampoo, conditioners are smaller. Um, but you're paying the same price as before per unit, right? And you know household items like paper towels and bathroom tissues, they're going through uh, downsizing um, to address inflation, right? Yeah. Um, now, what's uh, important is uh, you know these are great strategies to help consumers in the short term, um, but re- the consumer response needs to be monitored very closely, right? To understand how it's impacting purchase patterns and brand switching. Uh, and of course, overall category demand. Well, if you're talking about a tipping point, this might be it, right? That, that's be. right. That's right. Yeah. At some point, um, the smart shoppers are going to realize that they're getting much less than they used to before. I'm a smart shopper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, the, I think the other aspect that we wanted to talk about um, in terms of uh, uh, kind of a manufacturer strategy is around changing uh, promotion and merchandising. 
Um, you know, again, it's a pretty well-known fact that uh, at the onset of the pandemic and well into 2020, merchandising slowed down significantly, right? Um, you know, I used to see, uh, you know, the feature uh, from, um, you know, my local retailer, Sefe went down from 10 pages to two pages, mm. right? Uh, displays went down, you know, uh, promotions went down, right? And, you know, CPGs tried their best to meet the elevated demand for products. Uh, but, you know, since then, as the pandemic evolved and subsided, shoppers have slowly returned to normal shopping patterns. And uh, definitely we've seen merchandising and promotion activity has gone up, right? But, but it's still down considerably. And, and when I look at promotions, it might be, yes, it's coming back in some categories, but even the depth of the promotion is just not there as as it was before. Right. It's it's not there again. Again, it's related to the high inflation. Right. Manufacturers are trying to balance the um, increase in production costs and the raw material costs with uh, how they want to pass on the that increase to the consumers. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, now they they may be you know they may have their hands tied in terms of. Uh, increasing base prices. Um, but going into next year, the expectations are that uh, promotions will be higher to help ease the burden on the consumer wallets. And and honestly, we anticipated that promotions were going to come back a lot faster because people are starting to shop multiple stores and looking for those deals. And I would have thought that was the way to go. But to your point, you know, even why would a manufacturer want to promote something that they can't guarantee is going to be there? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. That that higher level of demand is what is keeping the prices higher too in some way. The last is the external factors, the things that people have, manufacturers have no control over. It could be things like weather. Um, it could be supply chain. Um, maybe even work from home because no one predicted that we would still have 20 or 25% of our workforce working from home. The economists are forecasting a looming recession. Um, you know, in the last six months, expectations for a recession in 2023 have increased, right? Um, what that means is higher unemployment, lower disposable incomes, and you couple that with continuing inflation, it means consumers are going to feel the pinch even more next year, right? Um, and we have seen in the past recessions, this means well for spend at home, right? Consumers are going to shift from, like we talked about earlier, um, higher priced uh, meals outside of home to uh, you know, a better value for consuming at home, right? Um, but the important thing to remember, again, looking back at the past recessions is the growth in the store will come from unexpected places, you know, depending on how consumers decide to make those trade-offs. Yeah, because it's not like the last recession. You know, the last recession, um, it was an easy thing to trade off from dining away from home to more meals at home. Or when you got into the grocery store, you could trade down to cheaper cuts of meat or more budget meals. And I feel that now consumers are looking at high inflation um, throughout the store. So to me, it's more sure. challenging than the past, like the Great Recession. Right, right. And, and uh, you know, to that point, they're all spending more time at home. <laughs> and that's that's becoming a big factor in driving at-home consumption too, right? 
uh, yes, the you know how we source our food at home has changed a lot in the past three years. Uh, but um, you know the big elephant in the room is the surprising durability of working from home, right? Um, you know, compared to pre-pandemic levels, almost there's a still a twenty percent reduction in work trips. Um, and companies have been slow to force workers back into the office. Um, they're revisiting and revising their policies every three months. Um, and, and expectation is for this to continue pretty strongly into next year. That means, um, you know, part-time work from home, um, you know, so the that hybrid. means you're spending hybrid, hybrid work mm -hmm. policies will continue to be there. And that will um, mean that there is an increase in consumption and demand for at-home products. Yeah, I don't see that going anywhere. And, and in fact, um, our colleagues in the UK just published um, a report that was published in the in the Financial Times about how consumers are who are having to go to work are packing their own lunch. Um, you know, all these work from home people in the US, many of them. Mm -hmm. would go through a drive-through in the morning for breakfast or stop and pick up a cup of coffee. And that has changed dramatically. That's right. That's right. Um, definitely there are uh, uh, trade-offs uh, happening. <laughs> um, and, and, and those those will continue to happen as we um, uh, you know, change our work from home policies. But at the same time, we know that consumers out there aren't happy, like even the work from home crew, they're not going to be happy with oatmeal for breakfast every single day. There has to be some variety. There has to be some excitement um, to keep things interesting. That, that is exactly right, um, and and that may that may you know get us into the next uh, topic around external factors around supply chain uncertainties. Uh, what what can CPGs um, you know confidently put on the shelf? Right, uh, that can drive demand for uh, at-home consumption. Um, we've had, you know, significant supply chain disruptions in 2020 and 2021, uh, driven by labor shortages. Um, you know, which resulted in more than usual out-of-stock situations and store shelves. Right, but um, you know, in 2022 and heading into 23, you know, these issues like labor shortages have been amplified by other aspects like, uh, you know, extreme weather patterns in various parts of the US, um, you know, conflict in Europe, and even China's zero COVID policy, mm. right? Um, companies are not able to meet the production demand, uh, not just due to labor, but also due to raw material shortages, right? And um, when a product is not available on shelf, brand loyalties are tested. And uh, you know, new purchase patterns and preferences start to take shape. And as they look into the future, CPGs need to factor in ex these expected shortages in production to meet the growing demand um, for at-home consumption. You're painting, particularly with these external factors, kind of a grim picture. Um, is there like what is a silver lining? Like, tell us how smart forecasting can help alleviate some of the challenges around these unknowns, or even around some of the knowns, like consumer behavior. So, how do we how do we prepare for all of these uncertainties? 
right? Um, yeah. And and again, to go back to what we were talking about earlier, it's um, it's about thinking about forecasts as um, scenarios than a, a baseline, right? Um, again, all the volatility and uncertainty around these factors, how they're going to evolve and how they will influence consumer purchases is going to create um, you know, a, a confidence interval in the forecast more than we want to um, plan for. Right. right? Um, so you know, to that, I would say that you know, demand forecasting is um, you know, as much an art as it is science. And um, um, automation and speed to action is more important than ever. Right. Um, you know, in the in the last two and a half years, as uh, we have engaged on forecasting with uh, a lot of our um, CPG and retailer clients, we are seeing that they are um, blending more art into the science uh, to address you know all these aspects of volatility and uncertainty. So I see the science and I see the automation, um, which drives that speed to action. But where is the art, the actual decisions that are made? Tell us a little bit more about the art of forecasting. Yeah. So so the tricky part with a lot of these factors that we have talked about is uh, quantification, right? Uh, It's, you know, understanding how the data is changing and um, how it is impacting demand. That means, you know, doing some sort of modeling, right? And then making some assumptions about how these are going to evolve into the future, Mm. right? Um, Now, some aspects like in-store execution are um, trackable, right? Measurable. Mm -hmm. But when you think about, you know, broader aspects like at-home versus out-of-home consumption or... Uh, impact of uh, um, you know raw material shortages on what's going to be on the shelf and how that will impact consumer demand. Those are aspects that are hard to quantify in a model, right? And so you have to think about how to overlay your output from standard econometric models with uh, you know how these factors might impact demand, right? And that's where the art comes in. I don't envy you at all. <laughs> it's, it's I, a, I'm sure it's a puzzle that intrigues you every day, but this is a lot to take in, Nagi. Yeah, it 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 is, and you know, it, you know, for us and and a lot of our clients as well. And um, I would say that uh, you know we are working with new data sets, right? Um, you know, COVID has created the need for new data you know, around mobility, around, uh, you know, tracking shopping patterns and how that's impacting purchase patterns, right? And we are constantly collaborating with our clients on new tools and enhancing our solutions to address their evolving needs. And, uh, you know, most important is, like I said, again, understanding how these factors and their impacting and their impact is uh, uh, evolving, right? Um, and, and, you know, that assessment helps separate the signals from the noise. Ah, uh, um, yeah. Right. Uh, forecasters need to, you know, not only identify the signals, but also 
actively monitor them, right? So they can respond in real time and support the decisions they make within the organization. And the uh, signals are going to be different from one signal, company to another, right? They're going to be different and they're going to be evolving. And um, in a lot of the enhancements we made to our solutions to be real time and putting more power um, in, in our um, you know, clients' hands, right, through the tools and solutions, that's uh, helping them to monitor and uh, react uh, much more quickly than before. Got it. So that is our, our silver lining, is that there are tools and there are strategies that work. And it's, it's finding your, for whatever company you are, finding your own. But to recap, and I usually like to recap, but I think honestly, Nagi, the best recap would be listen to this podcast again and again, because there was so much incredibly valuable information in here. And I think that you started it off by, by setting the stage that it's all about the need for agility, you know, agility in demand planning. But there are so many different buckets of things from consumer behavior, macroeconomic factors that no one has control over, to different manufacturing strategies that really are the larger buckets of inputs, but there's just so many different inputs. Um, you talked about how consumers are shopping and how their behavior is changing and how it just continues to evolve. Um, so I would say I really like the benefit or the upside of helping separate the signals from the noise. That to me is a really interesting thing because there's just so much data coming in, but there's new tools for making sure that you're looking at the right data and you're able to make the right decisions in real time to keep those forecasts coming. Um, and at the end of the day, you know, my whole mantra is making the shopper the hero. You want to maintain the loyalty of your shoppers, whether you're a retailer or a brand. Um, you have to understand that they're going to hit a tipping point at some, you know, likely estimated maybe in the near future in 2023 with a with a looming recession. Um, but that consumers are going to need more support than ever. So it's really important to get this forecasting right, control what you can control, and model your outlook for what you can't control um, as best you can. So with that, Nagi, I want to thank you so much. And I'll be coming back to you for more lessons in forecasting for sure. That That's a wonderful summation, John. Thanks, Nagi. Thank you for listening. Please become a subscriber and let us know what you want to learn more about. We'll serve it up in a future IRI Growth Insights episode. Look for us wherever you get your podcasts and be sure to review IRI Growth Insights. Also, visit us on the web at iriworldwide.com and connect with us on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn.